Well, let's pray before we go any further. Father, our hope and prayer and uh, desire and need in this moment is for you uh, to meet with us and for us to hear from you. And we know that that will only happen if your uh, word is um, applied to our hearts by your spirit. So we ask that you'll, you'll give us your spirit. Um, that we might be enabled to uh, see you through what is written here. Um, Lord, we, we know that there are a lot of things uh, that various people are facing, uh, even this week, even tonight. And so we, again, know that you're the only one who can uh, give comfort, who can give answers, who can um, truly, truly meet us where we are. So, Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll take our hope uh, off of other things, off of other people even, and put them fully on you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please turn in, in your Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 uh, in the New Testament. And if you are using a Bible from this room, I believe Acts 6 begins on page 782. So that might help you to find, uh, find it uh, fairly easily. Acts chapter 6. So we have been looking at this New Testament book. Now this is our third week into it. And the full name of the book, uh, if you're interested in such is actually uh, the Acts, not Acts like something you chop wood with, but Acts, uh, works, of the Apostles. Very good. Uh, It's on the screen, I think. So you're helped in that way. Or you could just look at the front of the book, because it's there as well. The Acts of the Apostles. So the, the deeds, the works, the actions of the Apostles. That is its right name, so, so I'm not saying it should be something different, although uh, many have said that this book actually maybe more accurately describes not necessarily the acts of the apostles themselves, but the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. Because we continually, continually see that the ones who are making progress in the book are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's think, just for a little bit here at the beginning, about these Apostles. What do we know about the apostles of the New Testament? Just name me anything you know about the apostles. Some are okay, so uh, a, a very high percentage of them that we know of, at least, were actually martyred, which means that they were, I think we talked about this last week, what does it mean to be martyred? Killed for something you believe in, for your faith. That's exactly right. Yeah, so a lot of these guys... Um, history tells us, were put to death because they believed so strongly in who or what? In Jesus. Yeah, these guys were apostles of what person? Jesus. Yeah, so to be an apostle actually means one who is commissioned or sent out on a task by another person. So they're not just apostles like that's a job title that anybody could have. It means that you actually were chosen and and then sent forth on mission by someone. So these guys are apostles of 
Jesus. What else do we know about them? Okay, yeah, we know the, the number of them, right? When Jesus was on earth, he chose how many, Luke? Twelve. Twelve to be his apostles. Now, we sometimes we call these guys disciples. That's also a fine word. But actually, as you read more closely in the New Testament, we would conclude that Jesus had hundreds of disciples. Uh, in, in other words, hundreds of people who followed him pretty regularly and would have listened to his teaching and, and so forth. But only 12 of them whom he chose as apostles and then sent out on mission. We even know something of their location. Where were they at the beginning of the book of Acts? Do you remember what city? Jerusalem, yeah. So Acts 1.8, the verse we've looked at as kind of the, the, the probably key verse of this whole book. Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. So where you are uh, at that moment. So we know that, that at least at this moment they're in uh, Jerusalem. And what is their mission? They were called to be, we just said it, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. So this whole theme we're kind of talking about here from Acts. Now, did these apostles always do everything right? No, they were human, they had flaws, they, they, they made mistakes, but they were most successful when they obeyed the Holy Spirit. When they listened to the Spirit and they followed His leading, that's when they were the true witnesses that they were called to be. And so for us, what I hope by looking at these acts of the apostles is that we also will understand we need the same Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit... All the remarkable things that happen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that same Holy Spirit is available to us and lives in us if we will trust and follow Christ. And we need that Spirit and we need to receive Him, we need to obey Him so that we can also be the witnesses of Jesus that we are supposed to be. And what one thing we'll see tonight and try to emphasize is that witnesses belong to churches and so therefore, if you are a true witness, you will, you will involve yourself in what we would call the true work of the church. And we're going to see some of those works tonight, because tonight we're actually not just going to see true witnesses, but what would be the opposite of a true witness? A false witness. That's exactly right. And those, of course, have no interest in doing the things of Jesus or of his church. So, so far in Acts, we've seen Jesus uh, ascend back into heaven. He was on earth, but now he's gone back into heaven but he has sent his spirit so that his people can have the spirit. Uh, his followers then can be his witnesses. And those witnesses carry on Jesus' work. They're still telling the message of Jesus. Last week, we saw that these apostles, a lot of them were threatened. Remember, they'd share the gospel and then, and then they would receive threats. Well, this time we're going to see not just threats, but, but real severe actions on those threats. Now, I want us to think about this as we kind of work our way through this. If, if your faith in Christ was threatened. We talked about this some last week. Uh, but if it became all of a sudden very difficult for you to be a Christian, most of us might be tempted just to abandon Christianity altogether, if, if we're honest. Uh, we, would, we might consider just giving it up. So what we want to learn through this passage and through the example of these apostles is what is it we're actually called to? What is it that we as witnesses and we as a church are called to do uh, so that, if we're threatened for our faith, we won't be tempted to abandon it entirely. So, there's going to be three main points tonight. If you've got the bulletin, which I think you all do, I want you to fill in these blanks. Not just because I think that the outline is the most important thing about this material, because it's not. But I do think it'll help you to um, 
retain the material a little better, and I think it'll be a good discussion guide for your small groups when we break into those here a little bit later. So three things that the church does that we as witnesses, if we will, if we will be consistent to these things as well, I think we will uh, stay faithful the way Christ wants us to. So here's the first thing that the church does. Number one, the church cares for its members. The church cares for its members. So we'll just kind of clarify from the beginning. I'll talk about the church. We're obviously not just talking about the building. The building doesn't have affections. There's nothing really all that spectacular about this room. This room doesn't love you. This room doesn't care for you. Um, but the church, meaning the people who make up the church, the witnesses who make up the church, a true church will care for its members. We will care for one another. And we will do this a few different ways. Now I want to read uh, how this happened for the early church and then draw some conclusions from it for us. So we're going to start in Acts 6, and I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 1. So follow along, please. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, we'll describe what all this means here in just a minute. But verse 2, And the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see here is this church in Jerusalem caring for each other, going out of their way to make sure everybody's needs are met. There's a few uh, ways they do this. So the church cares for its members by praying and preaching the word. Praying and preaching the word. Even after you become a Christian, one of the greatest needs that you and I have is to constantly be reminded of the gospel. To constantly be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and, and the good news that he offers to us so that we can continue to live by it. And so the word of God must be central in the church. So do you understand that when, a, when your pastor, pastors, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, whoever it might be, when these people teach you God's word, they're doing it because they care about you. It is an act of love for you. It would not be very loving for them to, to have access to God's word and to know it and then to not share it with you. That actually would be very unkind of them. So don't view Bible teaching as, um, as something that, you, that we kind of have to slug through in order to get on to the important things. Uh, the church cares for each other by preaching and teaching and praying through the Bible. And so these apostles were like, we can't neglect to pray and to preach. So we're going to need more help 
to meet other needs of the church. So the second way that the church cares for its members is by providing for the needs of all members. Providing for the needs, and you could, you could especially here probably say physical needs, of all members, and I put in there, regardless of race and class. Because this actually was seems to be some kind of a racial issue. Did you notice the two people groups there in verse 1? You have Hellenists, so that would be uh, those who spoke Greek. And you have Hebrews, that would be those who spoke either Hebrew or Aramaic. So these two uh, ethnicities belonged to the same church. They maybe weren't able to really interact all that smoothly with one another. So there's already that kind of racial tension probably in this church. But the Greek-speaking people had needs as well, right? Their widows still needed to be taken care of. So it would have been wrong for the church to just ignore the Greek-speaking widows just because they couldn't communicate with them, right? So uh, church members, all of them were to pitch in, use their gifts. By the way, all of you, uh, if you are a follower of Christ, you, you have certain spiritual gifts that you can offer that would be beneficial to other people in the church. So use those, utilize those. Uh, some of you have, have natural talents that you might not think of as a spiritual gift, but you could offer them to the church. I just heard uh, this afternoon that our children's ministry is looking for someone who can play the keyboard in children's church a couple times a month. I know for a fact some of you in here can play the keyboard. And that might not seem like a very spiritual gift, but that would be a way where you could meet a need uh, among your brothers and sisters in Christ by doing something you already know how to do. Uh, That would be a, a good way maybe to apply something like this. And the third way that the church cared for its members Uh, in this section, is by promoting leaders. By promoting leaders to ensure that none were overlooked. So you might not be able to tell this just simply by reading the names here, um, but you, you you would conclude that all of the names listed here are actually Greek names, which means that they uh, put Greek men in leadership so they could be, because they would be more helpful to these Greek widows, these Greek-speaking Widows, and that way everybody's physical needs and spiritual needs could be met. They didn't have to stop teaching the Bible. The apostles could still keep preaching and praying, but now these other men, uh, most likely we would call them deacons, could still meet all of the physical needs of the church. Now, uh, we all, again, there there are specific ways where you and I uh, can and should care for one another in a, in a tangible way way. Uh, And we should do it not to the neglect of other people who just might be different from us. And and so this is why um, I have tried, and I I think this is one thing I've done sort of well, I have tried to surround myself with other leaders who are uh, better than I am at relating to you, (laughs) Uh, quite honestly. So they, uh, you have a stronger relationship with some of your you're small group leaders than you have with me, and they care for you a lot of times better than I do. And I confess, I don't always do a very good job of caring for you the way that I should, and by God's grace, I will improve in that area. Uh, so I, I admit that to you, and I want to do better, and I want all of us to, to understand we have a responsibility to care for each other. Uh, no matter how different someone else might be, uh, we need to look for ways that we can care for one another, care for our members. A true church will do it. The second thing a true church uh, does or, or is 
is that the church, we see here, is concerned for its message. The church is concerned for its message. Um, another way to say that is, you, it should matter to you, it should matter to us, not just that we are preached to or taught the Bible. Uh, it should matter what we are taught. It should matter what is preached. Uh, you, should, you should care about the content that you are hearing. All right. If you hear something from me that contradicts what you know to be true in the Bible, um, you should you should tune me out. You should stop listening to me. You should pay much more attention to to Scripture and to those who teach it truly than to someone who would try to deceive you with it. Uh, it matters what we preach. So notice what is contained in this message. And this is a a long section, and we won't have time to read through all of it. Uh, but but there are certain things that are true of this message. And we'll try to point those out as we go. So, this message that the church was concerned with was accompanied by wonders and signs. By wonders and signs. So, we kind of zoom in. Look at verse 8 of chapter 6. Uh, we zoom in on one of these leaders, one of these deacons. Uh, who is it that we kind of uh, that Luke kind of singles out here? Verse 8. And Stephen. All right, this man, this... Uh, this man named Stephen, this deacon named Stephen, he is full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, what are wonders and signs? What would be a, a synonym for that? Miracles. miracles. This, this man was able to perform miraculous works uh, because he was God, no, but because God's power through the Spirit uh, enabled him to do this, just like we saw last week with Peter and John and the abilities that God gave those men to perform miracles, to do signs and wonders. And it didn't prove that they were God. In fact, they said, we only can do this because of who Jesus is and what He's allowed us to do. And it validated what they were saying. Uh, so you remember, you remember last week, um, one of the things that the apostles did after they had been threatened, was they prayed. And, and one of the things that they prayed for in Acts 4, and I think it's verse 29 or 30, is that they pray for boldness to keep speaking the truth. So basically they say, um, no matter what kind of threats we receive, we want, to keep, we want to have boldness to keep saying this message. And they pray for the ability to continue to do signs and wonders because it proved that what they were saying was true. And so Stephen is able to do those signs and wonders. This is an answer to the apostles' prayer. If you, uh, if you were to read in the Old Testament, and you were to read especially like in Exodus, when Moses is getting ready to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, what is it that we see Moses doing? What is he performing? Well, Exodus says he's able to do signs and wonders. He's able to perform miraculous things. And again, it proved that what God said was true. So, this message was accompanied by wonders and signs. Next, this message was announced with wisdom and with the Spirit. Wisdom and the Spirit. That phrase actually appears twice. So, in verse 3, we read that these seven men were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And then, down in verse 10, look at verse 10. Uh, some of these uh, Jewish religious leaders were disputing with Stephen, but verse 10 says that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit 
with which he was speaking. He spoke wisely, and he spoke under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So, the, so that way, his words and his actions matched up. Thirdly, this message affirmed the words of Scripture. So what Stephen says affirmed the words of Scripture. So everything Stephen says lined up with what the whole Bible has said up to this point. Now, uh, we, should, we should try to make sense of this. Uh, what Bible did these guys have? What was their version of the Scriptures here? The Old Testament. That's exactly right. These guys would have had really the whole Old Testament. And what Bible would the Jewish religious leaders have followed? The Old Testament. That's exactly right. So Stephen is not like trying to bring up a different holy book and say, hey, uh, you should pay attention to what this says instead of the Old Testament. No, he's, he's using their Old Testament, their Bible, to show them that, uh, that the message he's preaching is actually right and that they are wrong to oppose him. So, again, I wish we had time to read through all of Acts 7 to kind of show how he surveys really the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, to prove this point. But here's, here are the connections that Stephen does make, okay? Uh, Stephen reminds them of God's promises to Abraham, and here was, that, here was that promise summed up. Offspring who worship God in the land. All right, God promised to Abraham that Abraham would have offspring, he would have children and grandchildren, he would have a lot of descendants, and those descendants would worship God in the land of Canaan, in the, in the promised land that we sung, that we said we're all bound for. And, and really those are, you could say those are three different promises. God promised that Abraham would have offspring, he promised that they would have a land, and he promised that, that his offspring would worship in the land, and all those promises are fulfilled by Jesus and in Jesus. All right, Abraham, or sorry, uh, Stephen also affirmed the next point God's presence with Joseph and the, the patriarchs, or we would say like spiritual forefathers. And, and God's presence ensured that Joseph had favor, write that in the blank there, favor instead of affliction. So think about that. God looked favorably upon Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of Abraham. Uh, Joseph had been afflicted. Remember, he had been sent to prison. He had been sold into slavery by his brothers. So he, his life started out as one having much affliction. And yet God looked favorably upon him. And, and Stephen reminds them that God was with him. And because God was with Joseph, God was then with the entire nation uh, by sparing them from further affliction, from the affliction of famine. The next thing Stephen emphasizes is God's provisions through Moses, namely deliverance and salvation. God provided for the whole nation of Israel through Moses deliverance and salvation. So God's people were sent into Egypt. In Egypt, they began to grow and multiply. Pharaoh became threatened, began to kill their children, their, their male children. And yet Pharaoh then was uh, kept from destroying Moses and really kept from destroying uh, all the nation. And then ultimately, Moses was the one who grew up and then led the nation out of slavery in Egypt through the exodus at the Red Sea, which in the Old Testament was really the ultimate picture of the way that God rescued his people. And then, we even read about this last week, and Stephen brings it up again here, that God promised that another prophet like Moses would come. 
And you remember who we said the fulfillment of that was? Who is the prophet like Moses who came? Jesus. Jesus himself. So again, all of these provisions, all these promises fulfilled in Christ. Next thing Stephen emphasizes is that God's, uh, is God's purposes through the prophets. And his purpose was to dwell with his people. To dwell with his people. And that happened mainly through this building that we know of as the temple. That God actually came down and, and uh, filled the temple with his glory. And, and spoke his message through his prophets. And yet, there were some prophets, even in the Old Testament, who were, per- who were persecuted. And Stephen reminds us of this as well. He talks about the persecution of the prophets and then ultimately of God's Son. He tells these Jewish religious leaders that he's having to stand before and testify about all these works. He reminds them, your forefathers persecuted the prophets who spoke about God coming to be with his people and you persecuted God himself when he came to be with his people. You persecuted Christ. Look, at, uh, look all the way near the end of, of chapter 7 and look at verse 52. He tells them, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. How do you think uh, those religious leaders took that message? Did they, did they like hearing what Stephen had to say about them? Of course not. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. So write this in your notes. The message angered the witnesses who then stoned Stephen. Uh, The death of Stephen is actually spoken of in very remarkable terms. Verse 55, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Think about those sayings right before his death. Uh, receive my spirit and don't hold this sin against them. Sounds like another man's dying words, right? Like Jesus himself, right? Uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now think about Stephen's message, first of all. Think about this message that he spoke that got him into this kind of trouble, that had him opposed to this level. Stephen's message is the same message that, that you and I hopefully are, are here to, uh, to hear more of tonight. He preached the gospel. He preached the main message of Christianity. He emphasized uh, that God has existed for all time and God has been at work throughout history, but God's people have continually rebelled against Him. Uh, God's people have turned their own way like we read in Isaiah a little bit earlier. 
Um, God's people have deserved God's judgment. They deserve God's exile. They deserve to be afflicted for their sins. And God has promised that judgment will come so that, so that all who remain in rebellion against Him will indeed be separated from Him forever. And yet, Stephen points out that all the promises of God are fulfill, fulfilled in Jesus Himself. That the Son of God came, that He took our place, that He took judgment upon Himself when He died on the cross, when He was persecuted by evil men. Uh, he died so that you and I don't have to. Uh, our sins, our rebellion against God can be forgiven because Jesus has suffered in our place and God raised Jesus from the dead so that you and I and all who trust in Christ also don't have to fear death. We can, be, we can have eternal life with Christ. Now think about the consequences of that message. Stephen obviously faced the ultimate consequences, right? He was put to death for preaching that message. But... If that message is really true, isn't it actually more risky to not share it, like to not speak it, and to not believe it? So if the worst thing that could happen to Stephen was that he was put to death, well, he faced that, right? But what's the worst thing that these unbelieving Jewish leaders could have faced? Not death, but what would come after death for them if they remained in unbelief? Eternal punishment in hell. That's exactly right. So, so as risky as it was for Stephen to speak the truth, it was actually more risky for him to not believe it because these other guys who persecuted him were actually in more danger. So, so the reason the church cares and is concerned about its message is because we believe this message is really true and it's really important and it must be shared, which is why the third thing the church does, number three, the church is committed to its mission. The church is committed to its mission. So, look at chapter 8, and, we'll, and we will read um, the first couple of paragraphs here. Acts 8, 1, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the whole church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So at that point, uh, the church members in Jerusalem could have just thrown in the towel. They could have said, okay, uh, Stephen's dead. We see what happens for sharing this message. Thanks, but no thanks. They could have done that. And yet, that's not what we read. Look next at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. Skip down to verse 12 and, and look at this statement. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So they, they were scattered, 
It's interesting where they go. Where does it, where does it say that verse uh, 1 says they go? They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So again, think about Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then throughout all Judea and Samaria. So, so here they're going from Jerusalem out into the regions that Jesus had told them to go. And they're leaving because of persecution. So without this persecution, they might not have gotten this mission going the way that they were supposed to, which showed, again, that God was in charge no matter what. Now let's go through these subpoints real quickly because we see them actually repeated a couple of times in this chapter. So, persecution caused the church to scatter. Caused the church to scatter. We read that in, in verse 1. Uh, next point, those who were scattered preached the word. We saw Philip doing that in Samaria. The preaching of the word then caused many to believe. Caused many to believe. Remember, they paid attention to him. They saw that what he did lined up with what he said. Next point, those who believed were baptized. This is the same response we saw uh, when Peter preached his sermon back in Acts 2. And then lastly, those who were baptized received the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Once those who believed were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit, what did they also become? Witnesses. Disciples. So now there are more witnesses to go and to do this work in Judea and in Samaria. And you see that pattern a couple of times in Acts 8, uh, even with Philip and the way that he goes and finds this uh, Ethiopian official reading from Isaiah, what we read earlier, and, and, and the Ethiopian is like, look, I don't understand this at all. And Philip is like, let me tell you. And he shows him how it, the whole thing points to Christ. Now, here's our mission. All right, lest we, lest we think that all this is great for them, but not for us, our mission is exactly the same. Jesus has called us to be his witnesses and to go make disciples in all the world. Start where you are locally and then spread through the globe to all nations making disciples. So, it's very important, I think, for us to examine ourselves, okay? Uh, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a true witness? Uh, if you are, are you caring for one another in the church? Are we do, how are we doing at that? How can we do better at that? How can we care for one another? Uh, do we truly understand this message that we're called to share? Can we explain the gospel to people? And then will we take that gospel message around the world, even if it means giving our lives for the one who already gave his life for us. So, I want us to conclude. We're going to pray. Um, here's, how, here's how I want to do it, though, just as kind of an act of showing our care for one another. This might seem cheesy, but I think it's how I want to conclude. I want everybody to stand up uh, before we pray. So, stand up. And uh, I want us to, we don't have to like circle up or anything, but just kind of come close enough together that we can all kind of put our hands on each other's shoulders or something as we as we pray. So... Come, come in kind of toward the middle, and uh, we're just going to kind of, yeah, some of you don't have to move, but come closer.